Okay. Um, so again, thank you so much for doing this. And today I think we're just gonna talk a little bit about your mother um, who was a Chinese American soldier um, that served in World War II, as well as your own perspective, having her as a mother um, and possibly also like topics concerning racism and discrimination. Um, so okay. I'd imagine like growing up, your mom telling you a lot of like her stories. Um, so I was curious about what as a listener and a family member, um, you thought was the impact of World War II on her. And this could be positively or negatively. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of very, um, I mean, we didn't have a lot of other reference points for it. So she was always very busy and, um, and we knew that she did a lot of different things before you know, she was married and everything. And that just seemed like um, the way it was in our household. I, I know on reflection and looking back, it's, it's actually rather unusual. And, and now you know, that I'm an adult and actually older adult, I realized that she was kind of like in the women's liberation generation of, of her generation that she, you know, she actually wanted to, te to um, work outside the home and my father didn't like it, but she just went ahead and did it. <laughs> and she was, even when we were growing up and my youngest sister is 10 years younger than I am, but even when we were growing up and she was not working outside the home, she was always translating and everything like that. So we actually didn't hear a lot about, she was also very, um, she would talk in her sleep actually sort of on the negative side. So I think that there was a lot of um, experiences that she had growing up both in China and then during the war that just weren't processed by, by her. And, mostly by people in her generation. Mm -hmm. But she always made it very ordinary. So even I remember even like five years ago or so taking her to um, to like uh, be honored by the um, Army Museum in Washington, D.C. And she was already in a walker and she insisted on walking <laughs> up the ramp. <laughs> you know, we were all saying, uh, you could take the elevator or something, but she was already, you know, halfway up the ramp and the, the generals really appreciated her for that. So she was always just very um, tough and um, took care of her body a lot, although now you know, she's older. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what are some like memorable stories that she told you? I would just love to know. Oh, like... she had so many stories. Mm -hmm. <laughs> actually, yeah. I'm working with my sister because, actually, I'm sorry. Asked, um, being able to have a conversation with right now, but she's written so many stories, both about her time in China before the war, and then um, during the war, her stories. Mm -hmm. I mean. One of the most memorable to me was when um, she was in nurses training, you know, like 
18 or 19. Or maybe, yeah. maybe she was 20. She was finishing up her nurses training in Hong Kong and the Japanese came. And right the day after Pearl Harbor, the Japanese immediately came into Hong Kong. Like up until then it was neutral, but they immediately came into Hong Kong Harbor and uh, her hospital was on a lookout, was on a high hill in Hong Kong. So they immediately took over the hospital as a lookout. And um, she said all the, the nurses, even the nursing supervisor came and wanted to stay in her room with her because um, they could hear the boots of the soldiers upstairs. And I don't think she was um, interacted with them in any way, but she kind of left and hitchhiked some like five, four or 500 miles to Guaylin. <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't know if I told this story, but she, she went and visited her parents on the way and her oh. mother didn't want her to go to Guaylin to join the Chinese Red Cross. But she was with two friends and said, if, if we have to stay, you'll have to feed my friends too. <laughs> so there was a shortage of food, so she let them go. But my mother was always very independent, actually, even at that young age. That yeah. always struck me, yeah. And then, yeah, you talked about how like your mother was very tough and independent. So I'm wondering if did that like impact the way she raised you? Yeah, she was always, well, there's a stereotype of the tiger mom and she was partly <laughs> like that, very kind of bossy, but also um, encouraged us to be very independent. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, you know, like I never, none of us married Chinese people. Like that was a priority for my dad, but that just didn't happen. And um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, it's interesting to talk to you about this because I'm still processing how she impacted me. <laughs> and she would always just tell it how it is. She never... Like she would just say, sometimes say fat hay, which means hot air, you know, if people were talking and she just, she just never liked people kind of posing or, or anything like that. So, and that went for both, you know, Chinese and also, you know, just people in general. <laughs> so she never, yeah, she never, um, you know, suffered fools I guess <laughs> yeah and she still is like that in the nursing home even even now all of her staff you know she still insists on having her meals a certain way and, you know she still insists on um, toileting herself which is actually a nightmare for the staff because she could easily fall but they're just like well you know <laughs> That's your yeah. warrior spirit or something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's really great. Um, and then uh, also like for you growing up, like do you remember some of the events that affected the relationship between China and America back then? Um, and then- Between how, the Oh, ch uh, like China and America? 
Oh, yeah. Events that um, impacted the relationship. Yeah, you know, in my growing up, China was closed for a long time mm -hmm. um, to the West. Um, yeah. And so I never met my grandparents who died in China. So my mother left China right after the war to come back and finish her schooling on the GI Bill. And then um, we actually still have all these letters that written on this really thin paper that would take weeks to come back and forth. So I never met my grandparents who, who actually died in Guangdong um, in the early 50s. And then in the mid 50s, my mother was allowed to bring her brother and sister over on, you know, sort of you know, what is now called chain migration, <laughs> but mm -hmm. she sponsored them and they stayed in our basement for a while in DC. Um, but then they went back to California. My uncle, who's now passed, um, went back and became a school teacher in Stockton. But, you know, they struggled because in China, they were highly educated and, you know, in the mm -hmm. States, they had to like my aunt and her husband were very wealthy in, in Shanghai and, you know, had a company and everything, but in, in the States they ended up just working in the grocery store and things like that. So, so I saw that. And then um, when China opened up, we went back a few times. My mother went back, there was land in China that was left to her family, but she was at that time the only surviving one. So she ended up just selling it, I think for something minimal because now real estate in China is worth a lot more. But then she also, the last time I went to China with her and she invited all of us to go to China on this trip with um, people who had served in World War II in that front. So they were mostly American, like Caucasians. Uh -huh. <laughs> because yeah. she was, you know, they didn't, if you joined the army at that time and you were Chinese, you were actually sent to the European front, not the Chinese front. Because <laughs> I guess, because they didn't want, I guess, Confucian. I mean, Japanese and Chinese don't look that much alike, but they didn't, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, but she was already there. So she was, you know, served in that front. And I went on a trip with her with about, I guess it was about 50 other people and their families. Um, you know, we went to the tourist places, you know, Beijing, Xi'an. And then we went to the places where she served, which was Chengdu and, and Kunming. And, um, and they were, welcome there like in Kunming they said welcome home American soldiers and there because they had helped the Chinese so much at that time and um, and people always asked my mother if she was you know the wife of someone who served and it was like always no she was the one who <laughs> served she was a veteran um, mm -hmm. but that was that was a lot. And, you know, she was even in, in Kunming, she was interviewed by Chinese TV and things yeah. like that because she was, you know, so unusual even for the Chinese to be a woman. Mm -hmm. She was a first lieutenant, you know, so she was an officer. And, 
she also spoke Chinese, <laughs> which was really useful. Um, the SARS epidemic, actually, right after China opened up after SARS. I think it was 04. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been the relationship with China. Um, sort of not very much. You know, we grew up in the States and she mainly ended up being in the States. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's really interesting. And um, one thing I noted was how like she was asked to serve in the European front. Um, so were there like any other instances that perhaps her Chinese identity, um, I guess, influenced like different decisions that they made? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she, um, I mean, she was just there, you know, it's very chaotic. She was just there. And so first she joined the Chinese Red Cross and then um, she, I think it was in Chengdu, she, she met one of, uh, who became a friendly friend, a family friend, um, Dr. King, who was, of course, everyone's gone, but um, he was in the U.S. Army and he encouraged her to join, to transfer, because they had better, you know, uniforms, <laughs> better supplies, better. and so she, um, so she joined a little dicey, because to join the Chinese Army, she had inadvertently given up her US citizenship. So Dr. King had to kind of um, kind of do some behind the scenes work for her to yeah. join the US Army. But in the US Army, she actually, I mean, there were a few Chinese there, but because also she was bilingual. So she got to hang out with a lot of the generals and because she could also serve as translator as well. And she knew both Mandarin and Cantonese. Um, so she, she got to hang out with the brass a lot. And, you know, she was a young woman. So she had, I, my impression of her time in China in the army was both the highlight of her life and also that she had a good time just being a young woman there. She, she got to visit, um, Yenan, where the, did I mention this to you? The, where Mao Zedong was, one of her girlfriends was in the Red Guards. Mm -hmm. And you know, during World War II, Mao Zedong went, he retreated to the, these caves in Yenan. And he kind of left Chiang Kai-shek to fight the Japanese. So she got to visit those caves um, mm -hmm. because at that time the US was on friendly terms with Mao Zedong. And, um, so one of her friends who was a general, she hitchhiked to ride with them. Mm, that's got so to cool. visit her girlfriend. And then she came back and she got in trouble because she was AWOL for one day. She was supposed to have come back the previous <laughs> day. So it seems like she was always getting in trouble a little bit too, but that didn't seem to bother her too much. <laughs> Yeah, because um, she wasn't so obedient. You know, she wasn't yeah. terribly obedient. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I also loved how you like talked about how because she was bilingual, she was able to 
um, I guess, socialize and then um, be able to have like a good transition into like being in American society. Um, yeah. So I, I think that shows how it's really, like how language is really important. Um, and then, so for like the past two years, um, COVID-19 has been like a prominent issue. And then unfortunately, I feel like it caused a new wave of discrimination against um, Asian Americans. Uh, yeah. So do you have any experiences of being discriminated against because you were Chinese American? I don't have any overt experiences. I, mm -hmm. um, I've been processing this myself actually because I did have some experiences when teaching at the university level of people saying things like, she seems spaced out <laughs> or, <laughs> or she seems unprepared, but that's not actually who I am. So I felt, I felt that, but it wasn't overt, you know, it was kind of the, um, the, the, in the, the unconscious bias aspect of things. I mean, um, my husband's Jewish, so, and Philadelphia isn't where we live. It's not, um, it's not terribly, it's not near Chinatown. I feel when there's more Chinese, actually, there might be even more possibility of discrimination because you feel, because other races feel more threatened by, by large numbers or something like that. But, um, but I, I understand and I've actually, you know, I understand the objectification of like the objectification of women in particular, mm -hmm. because I've been, you know, as an exotic Chinese person, you know, like women are exoticized and men are either um, seen as sort of too nice and kind of not on the ball or, or they're the super, you know, Tai Chi <laughs> Kung Fu masters or something like that. <laughs> So those are all stereotypes, actually, that um, that just exists, you know, or that Chinese are wealthy and they're all out to make a lot of money and stuff like that. So, so I I understand those stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And then I feel like sometimes, like it seems like sometimes um, people think. Like maybe it's a good thing that everyone thinks we're um, like good, wealthy, or almost like the model minority. But then <laughs> like, I feel like in reality, it's kind of dangerous because like not everybody is the same and it's just really just like stereotypes. Um, and then yeah. I would like to know like, um, have you met like some other people who have dealt with discrimination or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel it's so interesting because, you know, like for a while, you know, like I am good at math, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but I don't have to be like always good at math or something like that. And so there's parts of the model minority that have helped people 
get ahead and, you know, studying well and things like that. But then the stereotypical part becomes threatening to people. And so actually in the last, I, I'm finished now, but um, like in the last year, maybe last year during the pandemic, we finished up in um, around the turn of the year, but I was in a um, kind of a processing group of um, internalized oppression um, that was all Chinese, um, all Chinese Americans actually, and people were different ages. And I can put you in touch with my friend Charlene kind of helped run it, but it was about how we internalize sort of internal Internalized oppression is kind of like the voice inside your head telling you different stories of yeah. how we oppress ourselves, actually. So it, it was interesting, actually, to be in that group. There were about 25 of us and different ages. I was on the older age range, um, mm -hmm. but there were people like even your age. I don't know if there was anyone, but, you know, younger people in their 20s and sort of and and mostly from California, actually, but um, but it was interesting just to hang out and sort of um, see what we had in common in terms of the stereotypes and working with that and working with the model minority issues and also the differences that we had. So, you know, within the group, there were tremendous differences as well. So that was just really interesting to me and, um, you know, and, and, so I'm, I'm, in a way, I'm still processing that work, but also, um, you know, have a understanding of how it shows up, like moment to moment, actually, in my life. You know, if I feel there's some racist trope going on, I can at least recognize it within myself and then maybe call it out. It all depends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, so like, obviously, um, discrimination and racism has been like an ongoing issue in the United States. Um, so in that regard, do you think um, the world has changed for better or for worse? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard. I think there's a lot more awareness, but sometimes that awareness makes people triggered more. <laughs> yeah but also i feel like this you know by 2050 which will be well within your lifetime you know the the united states itself will cease to be a majority white country and i feel there's a lot of i feel a lot of the backlash that's around minorities you know which include african-americans but also asians um, yeah is you know we're just coming to terms with that people are coming to terms with how the world will be not run by like white men all the time yeah. and also the resurgence of asia that's going to be tricky i think because frankly we rely on so many i'm sitting in ikea here you know so many things are made in china here <laughs> yeah you know, there's so much trade that's reliant on the East. And I was just reading all the semiconductor chips that the army uses are made in Taiwan, you know, things like that. So, um, 
so I feel we're going through some transition of um, the world, and not to mention the you know the economics and the climate change or certainly change everything, but. Um, Something's definitely changing, and um, the racism, the changing face of the world is part of that. Yeah. I mean, I feel people in your generation will be the ones that will be facing that, actually. Yeah, so to, like, expand on that, do you have, like, any suggestions of maybe, like, what steps society should take? Um, in regard to racism and how we can better face it, I guess, and ensure like greater yeah. equality. Yeah, I feel like it begins on a personal level. So just your aspiration to talk about it and, I, I, and recognize that I feel that's really important as a beginning and, and to have some bravery around that because it's not gonna be easy actually to recognize it you know as it's happening and then also to to feel it because it's not always going to have an easy solution there's there's there seems to be a lot of conflict in our world right now and i i feel that the change is going to negotiate through that conflict so not to lose heart and to be brave and i feel that's something that Somehow I got passed down from my mother. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Just even in a quiet way because I'm not as loud as she is. <laughs> but just to have heart and be brave. And, and then, you know, the, the uh, uh, sort of the policy change or whatever you want to call it will stem from that. Because I feel our, the logistical and policy stuff is... Um, there's a lot of flux right now in terms of how we might change the world. So I feel at this point, it starts with your own commitment and your own heart to be brave and just continue even through kind of the, the yuckiness of it, the difficulty of it. Because I feel, I don't feel it's, there's not an easy answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it'll be easy for you. You're younger. <laughs> and you don't, you know, but, um, you know, just having different skills, being able to think on your feet a little bit and, and yeah, be curious. Be curious. Because yeah. the answer, when I look at her story, you know, she was constantly curious and when I think of how it unfolded for her, you know, she didn't know how the war was going to end or who was going to win or anything like that. So just to be curious and take opportunity of what you can't, you know, of what's presented to you, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then, like, I feel like the main purpose of this project is to, like, spread awareness about the contributions of Chinese Americans and try to prove our place in American society. And as you know, I'm doing this through like drawing portraits of different heroes, um, as well as like interviewing people like you. Um, And then hopefully like 
someday I can build a website where I can like put all like the information I gathered and everything I've learned on there um, so others could learn from it as well. And so I would love to have your thoughts and opinions on um, like what I'm doing as a family member of someone who I guess I'm trying to know more about. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I really think that's great. Yeah, I just say, go, 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 girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. You. and I'd love to see, you know, keep in touch, see what happens with you. Like, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, yeah, I'd love to keep in touch. Yeah. Any like suggestions on maybe like what I can do in the future? If you have. Oh, any? I don't know. I, well, let's <laughs> see, you're going into your junior year. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Um, are you being pushed in any direction by your mother? <laughs> um, not really. Um, she's just like telling me to do what I'm passionate about. And uh -huh. yeah, so I'm, I'm just trying to like do my best um, to spread awareness and yeah. hopefully it can impact society in some way. Yeah, I feel like your whole perspective is an emergent one. And if you wanted to do like Asian American studies or something like that, I can, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah, put you in touch with people at Berkeley or I, I have a few friends that do that kind of thing. But, um, or um, I don't know. I mean, are you more inclined towards um, like study, like intellectual work or do you like art and dance or maybe like you just have to find out you know there's still time yeah I guess I'm just like combining all my passions like drawing and things and trying to like utilize those and try to make something out of it um yeah and then I would also um love to know because uh oh wait sorry were you trying to say something? Or, uh, excuse me? Uh, oh, sorry. I'm, I'm losing sound. Oh, can you No, hear it's me more because there's more people coming here. Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't think I can hear you. Oh, can maybe. you hear me? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay okay are we um, back i think so can you hear me now yeah 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 things okay. are good okay cool um so like one last thing i would like to know is that um is there anywhere that you would like me to i guess donate my book to or like send the portrait to oh. because um I think it's important to like uh, spread it around and hopefully inspire others. So were there any like schools or libraries or any place that were particularly oh. important to your mother? Oh, um, let me think about that. I, I don't have anything offhand. Yeah. Yeah. 
Actually, you know, um, before we lost signal a little, I was thinking about your drawing and art. And when I, um, when I uh, taught in the public health school, there's a whole discipline of um, how people really learn by visual pictures. Like, mm -hmm. so we made comic books on breast cancer screening. So uh -huh. not that you, not that you would do a comic book on breast cancer screening, but more like you could combine the narratives that you're collecting into, you know, like a comic book or some illustrated thing, if you wanted. I mean, that's something that combines different things about you. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. I'll take that into consideration. Yeah. 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 Okay, um, so I guess that's, really all the questions that I had. Um, oh, I think I'm losing you a little. Yeah, we're losing, we're, our signal's getting a little shaky here. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. That, yeah, that's about all the questions I had. So, I mean, if you think of any like place I can donate the book to, uh, okay. please let me know. And okay. I'll definitely do that. Okay, this has been great. So it's been great to get to know you and good luck with everything. Oh yeah, thank you so much for doing this again. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll definitely keep in contact. Okay, all right, great melody, thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.